We are all passengers on this journey together. And worship, this thing that we do together, is part of that journey. It, it's what develops our character. We begin a new series this week taught by Father Andrew Tebow titled Anglicanism 101, Why We Do What We Do. Hello and welcome to the Transforming Lives Together podcast. In the preface of the 2019 Book of Common Prayer, we read that the Book of Common Prayer from the first edition of 1549 became the hallmark of a Christian way of worship and believing that was both Catholic and Reformed, continuous yet always renewing. According to this pattern, communities of prayer, congregations and families, rather than the monasteries of the earliest centuries, would be the centers of formation and of Christ-like service to the world. Throughout this series, Father Tebow will guide us in understanding how Anglican worship and the Book of Common Prayer help to form our lives around the life of Christ. Before we turn it over to Father Tebow, we would like to thank you for your time as you tune in each week. We pray you are blessed and encouraged by the content of this podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe to stay up to date with the latest episodes, and if you have enjoyed what you're hearing from this podcast, please help us out by leaving a five-star rating and review. Your positive feedback will help us reach more people with this podcast. And now, here is Father Tebow with the first part of Anglicanism 101, Why We Do What We Do. Ineffable creator who from the treasures of your wisdom have established three hierarchies of angels, have arrayed them in marvelous order above the fiery heavens, and have marshaled the regions of the universe with such artful skill. You are proclaimed the true font of light and wisdom and the primal origin raised high beyond all things. Pour forth of your your brightness into the darkened places of my mind. Disperse from my soul the twofold darkness into which I was born, sin and ignorance. You make eloquent the tongues of infants. Refine our speech and pour forth upon our lips the goodness of your blessing. Grant to us keenness of mind, capacity to remember, skill in learning, subtlety to interpret, and eloquence in speech. May you guide the beginning of our work, direct its progress, and bring it to completion. You who are true God and true man, who live and reign, world without end. Amen. That's a prayer for study. It's a collect for study uh, that St. Thomas Aquinas wrote. He's considered to be, well, many things. Among them, the so-called patron saint of scholars. So uh, that's a prayer that he wrote. Seems fitting to begin this evening with a prayer about study, and a a collect at that, one that we can pray together liturgically. So, as a way to begin, I sort of want to lay out my agenda for the next few weeks and then get into the specifics for tonight. So, as I mentioned, I have three weeks. Tonight, I want to spend some time talking about our Sunday service, why we do what we do. Next week, we'll talk about the prayer book as a whole, and some of its broader elements like the calendar, lectionary, psalter, probably some words about liturgy per se, 
what it is and what's working in it. And then in the third week, we'll talk about per- the particular liturgical services that we find in the prayer book, the, the four hours and family devotions especially. And I want to do all this while hopefully keeping an eye towards our personal devotion as well as family devotion. There's some great resources for all of us wherever we're at for that. I also like to give the caveat that things may spill over from week to week. I'm trying to cram in three weeks what I would like to do (laughs) in about six months. So there's going to be some spillover. Things are going to be um, a little fluid because of that. But so let's press on. Today, I want to divide our time up into to third, well, not quite thirds, but into three sections. So the first 20 minutes, I want to spend helping us to open up our imaginations, as it were. I don't mean that open up, but to inspire our theological imaginations uh, so that we have a, a working picture to sort of orient our discussion about liturgy and Anglican worship and Anglican spirituality. And then the second 20 minutes, I want to highlight a few tangible elements of our Sunday worship service and explain them. And then for the final 10 minutes or so, I hope to leave open for some question and answer time. So let's get to it. How many people here have read the Chronicles of Narnia? Yeah, good, good, good. How many have read the Voyage of the Dawn Treader? And remember the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Okay, so in the Voyage of the Dawn Treader, you have the Pevensies, the, the two youngins Pevensies, Lucy and Edmund. They were in the first few books. And they, with their cousin Eustace, are brought into Narnia. But they're not just brought into Narnia, they're dropped into a sea right next to a big ship. And they're brought up onto the ship. And what they discover is that their friend Prince Caspian who Lucy and Edmund had met previously, was on a mission. He was going out to find four lost captains of Narnia. And so they're out on this great adventure on the way. Through the course of this adventure, through the course of Voyage of the Dawn Treader, uh, we discover that they're heading to the east. They don't know how far to the east they're going, but they're going to the east. And that's significant that they're going to the east. We also meet Eustace. As I mentioned, he was the cousin of the Pevensies. And there's sort of a famous line that opens the story that there was a boy named Eustace and he almost deserved it. And Lewis is telling us that this Eustace was something of a twerp. He, he didn't have great character, we might say. He was a real... Uh, yeah, anyway. And there's a whole philosophy that that Lewis is drawing out. But the the point is that this kid lacks character. And indeed, he doesn't have the proper orientation towards the world. He doesn't have the right worldview. He doesn't have the right faith system. And in the course of this, that manifests itself by Eustace becoming a dragon. So his sort of inward character becomes manifested on the outward. And on the voyage, through the uh, discovery of comparing himself to the other people on the the Don Treader with him, especially Lucy and Edmund, Eustace begins to have this epiphany that he's not as great as he thinks he is. And that maybe the things that he thought that he knew were actually wrong. And maybe that Narnia is more real than he thought it was. And maybe the things that Lucy and Edmund believe aren't as crazy as he thought. And he comes to this 
conclusion in part because of the character and witness of Lucy and Edmund and Prince Caspian and the others on the ship. Especially in contrast to Reepicheep. Reepicheep is a, uh, a mouse. He stands about a foot tall. And his character is outsized. I mean, this guy is, he is courage. He is chivalry. He is all the things that you would want your future daughter's your daughter's future husband to be. That's this guy. And he has faith. The whole time he's on this voyage, he knows they're going to Aslan's country. That's why they're going to the east. They're going to find Aslan. And he is single-mindedly on that, tra- uh, on that track. So when they have other adventures in the course of their, their travels, Reepicheep is the one who gives them their bearings. He at one point saves Prince Caspian because he's able to say, no, that's not the right way. We, we have to go to Aslan's country. That's the way we need to go. Right? So eventually, Eustace has um, a conversion experience. He meets Aslan face to face and Aslan strips off uh, the, the dragon skin. It's a painful process. He's stripped down raw and then Aslan bathes him. He gives him a baptism. And from that point on, Eustace is a new boy. And he begins to grow in character and virtue. Uh, and by the end of the book, this guy that you really despised, you now, you're now rooting for. And indeed, they do come to Aslan's country at the end. And Reepicheep gets to go into that country uh, that his heart really longs for. Why do I tell you this story? Well, I tell you this story... Because I think Lewis, being the good Anglican that he is, is giving us a picture. He's giving us a picture of the church, and he's giving us a picture of the Christian life. We are all uh, either Eustaces or Reepicheeps or the other characters on the, the Don Treader, but we are on a voyage nonetheless. We, no matter which character we are, we are on this same journey to Aslan's country. Now we, we know we're not going to Aslan's country, we're going to Jesus' country. But nonetheless, and it's the picture of a boat that C.S. Lewis uses. I think that's a great image. So, for Anglicans, I want to say up front that for Anglicans, formation is along the way. It's a pilgrimage. It's a, it's a journey from here to Aslan's country, to Jesus' country. And for us, this is inherently liturgical, and thus it's centered on the Scriptures and the prayer book. Hence, we are a people of two books. So, back to the ship. Jimmy, you want to bring up that first picture for me, please? This is uh, what's actually a French cathedral. There it is. Uh, This is a French cathedral in Salisbury. It's of the Gothic style, though, and that's what I want us to see. So the Gothic style was invented in England. It's the style that we use, that Anglicans are sort of known for. It's our, our thing. Uh, notice the high ceilings, right, on each side, or the high walls. The high walls, on, uh, they're straight up and down, and they sort of dr- draw your eye up to the heavens, Right? But notice the shape of the, um, the ceiling here. How it's sort of curved, steep and curved and sort of 
yeah, it's curved. This, this picture, if we look at it, if, if I was able to sort of turn it upside down, it would look like the hull of a ship. Like a big ship. And in fact, that's why in a, in a, a Gothic church, and why we Anglicans, this area in front of the altar where the congregation sits, it's called a nave. Nave, that, that word might sound somewhat familiar. The nave is uh, it's from the Latin navus. It's where we get the word navel. It actually means ship. So this space that looks like a ship and is called a ship is intentional. The church has historically understood itself to be the ship that carries us along on the voyage to Aslan's country. Lewis isn't just drawing out of thin air. He's drawing on the tradition that he has inherited and has been passed down to him. So one way to think about the church is the transportation that we have in this life going from where we are now to Aslan's country. And that gives us, I think, a framework to think about worship. To think about what we do in this space. Because technically, we still call this a nave. We are all passengers on this journey together. And worship, this thing that we do together, is part of that journey. It, it's what develops our character. So that we can be less like Eustace and more like Reepicheep. And eventually arrive at, at Aslan's country. You can see off here, can, uh, in the, let me get it more out of the way, uh, right up at the front there, that's uh, the altar. And in the back there is the reredos. This area here it has historically been called the choir because on either side here are the choir lofts where the, the choir would sit. So that place there is called the choir. We also refer to... Well, I'm going to get ahead of myself. And So, for now, this is the nave. You want to go to that next picture, Jimmy? We can get a different view of it. There we go. That's sort of from the top. You can see the rear dos back there. There's the altar. Uh, the choir is along here. Uh, and then this area, all right here, is the nave. So that picture, I hope, helps give us some, some framework to think about uh, what liturgy is, what, what our Anglican worship is, uh, is doing, its purpose. So, this assumes certain things though, right? It assumes, uh, assumes certain things about the human person. Anglicans consider, there, there's a, a trendy phrase now, homo liturgicus. Worshipping man. Loving man. That is who we think of ourselves as. And this is essentially a loving and worshipping being. A loving and worshipping creature. That those of us made in the image of God. So this assumes that we have a heart. Uh, and this heart is formed by habit. And it's formed in worship and in community. We are loving, worshiping things. So that sort of makes sense. Uh, it also assumes that we have reason. And this reason is formed by teaching in community. It assumes that we have a body. Which is formed through habit and the senses in community. And it assumes we are contingent. Which means that formation happens best in community. Contingent means that we're dependent. 
recognizing that we're creatures, that means we're first dependent on our Creator. We've talked about this before. That just means that we, we are dependent on our Creator. He's the one that created us. We don't have being of our own. It was given to us. We receive it as gift. So we're first dependent on God, but then we're dependent on other human beings. Our life comes about through the union of a husband and wife. Without them, we don't get life. And they raise us up and they teach us the way that they should go. So from the first, we are dependent first on God and then on other human beings. In fact, we can't learn to love. We can't learn to properly worship apart from other human beings. It's just the way that God has created us. Now, a caveat is that formation can happen uh, outside of community, but it happens best in community. This also means this, this contingent aspect of our understanding of the human creature also means that for Anglicans, it's not about what we do. Anglican worship is about what God is doing in and through us. We receive from Him as gift. And that our time here in the nave on this journey together is about coming into right alignment. About being remade, reformed into His image and likeness. Uh, about being resonant with Him. And that assumes that we're being deformed in the world uh, and that we come back here to be washed clean and sanctified. I also want to point out, I, I was uh, remiss to point this out. So we think of this space as a nave. It's the ark. It's the ship that's carrying us along where salvation can be found and things uh, in formation. Boats are meant to keep you out of the water, right? The ark, the purpose of the ark was to keep you out. Peter tells us, though, that the ark of the church saves us through water. We are brought into this particular ship through water, the waters of baptism. And so that's why and we don't do it here, mostly because the space is sort of awkward for it. But in a lot of Anglican churches and liturgical churches, you find the, the baptismal fonts by the doors. Um, or sometimes you'll find it up at the rail, but usually you find it at the doors. And that's to symbolize that we come into the church through the waters of baptism. And so there's a, a picture for that. And that's all sort of worked into this. So I want to go back. For Anglicans, uh, well actually this isn't for Anglicans, liturgy actually means work of the people. Uh, so this thing that we're talking about, it happens in the community, right? It assumes that we are loving creatures. It assumes that we are thinking creatures. It assumes that we are embodied creatures and it assumes that we are communal creatures. And Anglican worship, the work of the people, has all of those elements in it. You can find them throughout our worship. And, and we'll sort of highlight some of those tonight and over the next couple, couple weeks. One other aspect I want to highlight tonight is sort of the Anglican, unofficial Anglican motto. Uh, it's Lex Orandi. Let's see if I can write this big enough. Orandi Lex Credendi. Which is Latin for, can everybody see that? Lex Credendi or Lex Orandi, Lex Credendi. And what it's Latin for the law or the rule of prayer, of worship, is the law or the rule of faith. And what that symbolizes to us, what that expresses to us is that 
Anglicans, when we think about formation, spiritual formation, and that's what worship is, it's spiritual formation, we think of, we get our theology from our worship, from our prayer. Now, in terms of development and things, uh, there's a, uh, an interplay between these two. But for most of us, when we're talking about the way that we grow in the faith, the general rule is from prayer to theology. And then as we grow, we go from our theology to our prayer. Our theology becomes our doxology. Uh, but we, we enter here. That's why it's important for our kids to be here. Why it's important for all of us to be here. To, to grow in our faith. So Lex Arandi, Lex Credendi, that's sort of the... And we'll, we'll flesh that out a bit more as we go as well. Alright, so to the liturgy itself that we use on Sundays, there are historically two parts. Uh, there's the liturgy of the Word and the liturgy of the sacrament. So you'll hear us talk about Word and sacrament. And there's a pretty neat split in our Sunday worship. It happens at the peace, the passing of the peace. Everything before the passing of the peace is the liturgy of the Word. We, we read the Scriptures there. We have the sermon there. We have the prayers of the people there. We have the Nicene Creed there. The Psalter is there. All these things that we do together that, that are, uh, the fancy word is didactic. They are the teaching elements. All those things happen in the ministry of the Word, in the liturgy of the Word. And then we come to the peace, and we, we pass the peace. We get that from Romans 16.16, 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. And so we, we do that there. And then we move into the liturgy of the sacrament. And we begin that with the sursum corda. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. That's the Sursum Corda. And that's where we begin the, the sacrament at. And the rest that happens there is about the sacrament. You might notice that there's sort of a building crescendo through the Sunday worship. And while everything is important, we sort of eventually end up at a high point. What's the high point? The Eucharist. Why is the Eucharist the high point? Because that's where we receive Jesus. Jesus is there objectively and we meet Him and receive Him there. It's not about what we do. It's about what God is doing. Right? And so that's the high point for us. Notice that Word and Sacrament, both of these things, they, they touch on all three, or excuse me, all four of the elements we, we talked about. Heart, mind, and body, or how it's more pithily put, head, heart, hands, and community. All of those things are present in word and sacrament. We hear, we see, we touch, we taste. When we have the incense, we smell. But even, even when we come to the rail and we receive the wine and the bread, we smell. All of our senses, our body is involved. Right? We have the manual acts of worship which we'll talk about in just a minute. Our minds are engaged. Our ears are engaged by the Scriptures. All of us is touched by liturgical worship. It's not passive. We are actively working in it. 
even as we passively receive. We are participants is the way that we, we best put that. We don't come to watch a concert. We're here to participate. So I, I should point out that many of these aspects that we have in our Anglican worship, especially the Word and Sacrament being split up the way it is, uh, we can trace back all the way to the first century. And in fact, we can even go back into the Old Testament to find them there, uh, which is where a lot of the roots for what we do comes from. But especially in terms of church history, we find Word and Sacrament very early, uh, like before the, the epistles even. Uh, and same with some of the smaller uh, elements of the service, like the peace, which we get from Romans 16.16. 16. Uh, greet one another with the holy kiss. The words of institution, uh, which we see in the synoptic Gospels and Paul references in 1 Corinthians 11. The fact that Paul is referencing them as part of the Christian worship already tells us it was in practice before Paul wrote it. So we can, we can glean that aspect of our liturgy before the New Testament. right? So these things go back a long way. Uh, and then the, the Lord's Prayer being uh, said communally together. All of these things were virtually universal uh, by the second century. And we see them mostly that way in the first century. Some things were done a different, in a different order. You might have a, a place here or there that didn't have one or, or the other elements, but about the same time that the New Testament was being written, we can find many of these things. And we can find them because we have documents from that era that in the first century we have documents that talk about the liturgy. It's not an actual liturgy. But by the second century we have actual liturgy from that time period. So we know that these things were very early and being handed down. So when your friends tell you they're going back to being primitive and that means no liturgy, hogwash. Now, that's, not, that's not actually right. So, uh, that's what I want to say about the liturgy and uh, giving us some framework for now. We'll sort of flesh some of these things out over the next couple weeks as we go through uh, more particulars. But I think that gives us something of a framework then to begin discussing these things further. You have been listening to the Transforming Lives Together podcast a ministry of St. Bartholomew's Anglican Church in Tonawanda, New York. To learn more about our church, please visit stbartston.org. Again, that's stbartston.org. You can also connect with St. Bartholomew's on Facebook and Instagram through the handle at St. Bart's Anglican Church. And you can connect with this podcast on Facebook and Instagram through at Transforming Lives Together Cast. We hope you will tune in next time as we continue our series, Anglicanism 101, why we do what we do. Until then, we leave you with this verse from Paul's letter to the Philippians. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. God bless. God bless.